This standing chat is hosted by Humbleworks, the original designers and manufacturers of quality ergonomically designed standing desks and related products. We'll be speaking with Dr. James Levine, the authority on the benefits of standing versus sitting. So moving on from our last episode where we discussed NEAT, what is and why it's important. This week, we're gonna be talking about the main instigator of countless health issues and the ruler of all things sedentary, the chairman and his curse. So who and what are the chairman and his curse? <laughs> well, India, the, the chairman is this invisible entity who has tied us to her, our chairs. Now, Joking aside, the issue is serious because excessive sitting, according to the NIH consensus, is associated with more than 30 different diseases and conditions. I'm not going to go through them all, but the important ones to hit home are type 2 diabetes. Excess sitting is associated with type 2 diabetes, which affects about one in 10 of the population and is growing. Some countries have type 2 diabetes rates, believe it or not, of 30%. Excess sitting is in part responsible. Excess sitting is associated with premature cardiovascular disease, hypertension, excess body weight we've already discussed. Excess sitting is also associated with musculoskeletal issues. You can imagine Sitting all day long is associated with back problems, troubles in our shoulders, wrist carpal tunnel syndrome associated with the keyboard, and probably one of the hidden curses of this modern world we live in is that excess sitting is associated with low mood and depression, with impaired creativity. And so when you start to think about it in a health context. Excess sitting hurts and harms so many parts of our body. And can you tell us about the chair cursed body? So what is it and how does it function? You might wonder how on earth it is possible that something as simple as the chair causes all of these problems. How can it be that something we all do every day, many of us for 13 hours of it, can cause so many problems? Is it even conceivable that excess sitting is associated with metabolic problems, even types of cancer? Breast cancer is linked with excess sitting. Diabetes, blood pressure problems, cardiovascular disease, premature death, all associated with excess sitting. How, is, how can it be true? We did the simplest of experiments. We took a group of volunteers on the research center and we gave them all three of their meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, very, very carefully regulated. During that day, we also continuously measured their blood glucose. For the first session, all of our volunteers ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then did their normal work and leisure day, which was computer-based work, sitting in the evening watching TV, and we measured their blood glucose. What happens to a normal person during a normal work day is the following your blood glucose is going along, you have breakfast, it goes up. It goes up like a mountain and comes down over the next few hours and then you have lunch. It goes up like a mountain, comes down and dinner up like a mountain 
and so on. We repeated the experiment with the same people with exactly the same meals, with one difference. After each of those three meals, instead of just doing normal computer work, watching TV, all the stuff we're used to, we asked our volunteers to take a 15, one five, 15 minute stroll at one mile an hour after each of those meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And what was unbelievable is that every single volunteer's blood sugar responded the same. After breakfast, instead of it being a mountain, it was a molehill. After lunch, instead of there being a mountain with a 15-minute walk, it became a, a molehill. After dinner, instead of there being a mountain of blood glucose in response, a 15-minute stroll after the meal halved it to a molehill. So you can imagine over a whole day, Getting out of the chair, moving after each of your meals, can halve the excursion, the increase in blood glucose after eating. Now, if I were then to share with you that the biggest predictor of type 2 diabetes is the size of those mountains, the, the so-called postprandial glycemic excursion, the size of those mountains, you can immediately understand that a chair-based society where we never move is associated with mountainous excursions in blood glucose and in type 2 diabetes. Creating an environment, a society, a will, an internal drive to get up and move, even a short stroll after each of our meals, potentially halves that. If I were to also then share with you that insulin that drives blood sugar into the body after the meal is also linked with insulin-like growth factors. Those are, in, are linked separately to types of cancer. You then start to get the picture that movement can protect us against not only type 2 diabetes, but types of cancer, cardiovascular disease, and so on. And that is how excess sitting is so terribly linked with, with bad health. That is how excess sitting is linked with bad health because movement, even moderate slight movement, dramatically decreases those risks. Another one of the chapters in the book talks about the chair-cursed mind. That sounds pretty ominous, if I'm honest. Um, what, what do you mean by this? So, it's, I'll tell you something very interesting. I've looked after patients, as you know, for many years. When a patient comes to see you for help, or guidance, care, the thing on their agenda list isn't numbers, blood glucose, systolic blood pressure, vascular reactivity, ejection fraction, which is a measure of heart function, glycemic index. That isn't on the agenda of my patients. What's on the agenda of people who walk into the office is how they feel, is their emotions, is their mood, is their energy level. I remember a head teacher who came to see me, a gentleman, he was in his 50s, he was carrying excess body weight, he was a principal, he, was, he, was, he lived in his chair. 
he wasn't interested in the fact he had type 2 diabetes, his blood pressure was up. He also had obstructive sleep apnea, a sleep, a sleep condition. And that's what not interested him. What he told me, I said, you know, why, why have you come all this way for, for a visit? And he explained, the reason he's here is because his grandkids come over to play and he can't play with them. That is exactly what he explained. So all of these numbers was not in his head. What was in his head was his life, what he wanted to get from his existence. And as physicians, as healthcare providers, we often forget that. And so when we then start to look at the data that explains that, that when we then when we then look at the data that starts to examine mental health issues associated with movement, the data are startling. I have yet to see a clinical trial on diabetes prevention that does not include walking. So when people walk, it helps prevent depression. As you know, a third of the population suffer from depression at some point in their lives. And it's not just depression, it's also feeling blue, low mood, low energy, feeling a sense of, I'm stuck. I'm trapped in this body, I'm trapped in this life. I want, to, I want something else. And that sense of malaise is dramatically linked with excess sitting. And what is fascinating, therefore, is when we've conducted office programs in, in over 70 different US corporations, without exception, people who get up and move not only have improved healthcare numbers, fantastic, not only have decreased healthcare costs, fantastic, not only feel better because of better health, great, but possibly the most important of all, feel good, feel energized, feel I hate the word, but they feel empowered. There's an internal power has come back. And that is what we have to offer here today. The ability to take your life back in your hands, to get up, move and feel happier. And how do we even begin to reverse the direction we've taken towards this very unhappy existence? It seems a simple, simple question. The answer seems absolutely obvious. Get up. Get up right now if you're listening to this. If you're sitting down, get up. If you're standing up, move. Do it now. But, of course, like with every scientist, there's always a complexity. But the complexity is really interesting. There have been substantial studies conducted on something called self-efficacy. And that is where we ask people who come to, for weight management help whether they are internally motivated to do what's necessary to move weight, whatever the mechanism, whether it's behavioral modification, medications, whatever, whether they have self-efficacy, whether they're ready to do it. And the data initially suggested that if a patient comes to you and say, well, I'm not really ready to make a change, I'm not really ready to do anything, then you actually say to the patient, you know what, come back when you're ready. Now is not the time to do this. If you're not ready, there's no point. But what's interesting is when you start looking at sedentariness, that proves not to be the case. It proves to be the case that if you say to somebody, look, you're stuck in your chair, we're going to get up even for one action. 
we're going to convert lunch break, if you wish, from sitting eating a sandwich at your desk, which by the way, 60% of people do, guilty, to taking a walk during your lunchtime, 10 minutes for the sandwich, 20 minutes for the walk, and you do that continuously for three weeks, you've got up and moved, even if you've got no real intent to do it, we're just going to ask you to give it a go. What we find is that maybe it gives people a buzz, but it gives people, it energizes even that small part of the day. And that sense of energy is learnt and people come back and say, what's the next thing? So actually, paradoxically, my answer to you is not the simple one. If you're not ready, don't start. No. I'm telling you, today, get up right now, move right now, and do it for 21 days and you'll come back for more. Thank you so much, Dr. Levine. Fascinating. Always Absolutely a fascinating. pleasure.